Hello and welcome to UC Today. My name is David Dungay. Today I'm joined by Andrew and Zias. Andrew's from Audio Codes. Welcome to the show. Zias from ZK Research. Welcome. How are you both? Good, good. How are you doing? Great. Absolutely. Right. Fantastic. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, the public sector particularly, but also taking a holistic approach to UC and how some of these public sector organisations are overcoming those hybrid challenges we see you know, time and time again in our markets. So exciting conversation, but let's do a, a quick round of introductions to, uh, to kick us off. Uh, Andrew, do you want to kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and Audio Codes. Excellent. Um, well, I'll be brief. Uh, I uh, live here in the US and uh, I run the US public sector uh, business for um, audio codes. Fantastic. And Mr. Zias Caravalla. So, yeah, Zias Caravalla, obviously well known industry analyst, uh, featured on UC Today a lot. So, you know, I guess that makes me a, a well spoken pundit. Uh, unlike most analysts, though, that have a well defined coverage area that uh, uh, they live and die with. I tend to focus on the leading edge of technology, a lot of the emerging trends uh, around hybrid work, 5G, you know, edge computing, things like that. So it's been an interesting last few years. There's always lots of stuff going on. Right. So uh, let's start off with a few challenges then so we can sort of set the scene around this uh, this public sector space. Um, I'll start with Andrew. You know, what are those big public sector challenges when it comes to driving towards this hybrid workplace that, you know, we seem to see everyone's driving towards it. Some people are more successful than others. But what are you seeing from a public sector point of view? Well, the key challenges that I see is the is really uh, around the aging infrastructure. Um, the aging infrastructure that, that, that exists in, in public sector, um, you know, uh, really from education all the way through to federal workspace. It is, uh, it is quite, uh, some of it's aging, some of it has been recently refreshed, but the key, uh, the key challenge for, um, uh, for public sector at the moment is, uh, cost. It really is <clears throat> cost in driving the change to hybrid workplace. Um, obviously, since COVID, remote working is pretty standard. Everybody's figured that out, um, or some haven't, but most have. Uh, but generally speaking, the key is the meeting space. That is absolutely critical in a hybrid work environment. And I think that is where the challenges are. It's not just about upgrading to the latest and greatest uh, meeting, meeting room systems, but it's also about the meeting space itself. How is it? How is it organized within a building and also the hoteling spaces as well? So when somebody wants to go into the office, how can they get uh, an office space? And sometimes we've got, I wouldn't say overcrowding, but I say undercrowding at the moment where there's a lack of uh, folks in space. So again, introducing cost. So that's what I would say are the key challenges around hybrid workplace. You know, Dave, I think we could do an entire webinar on the challenges the public sector faces. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I do think technical debt, to your point, Andrew, is one of them. I, I recently had the opportunity to interview one of the federal CIOs, and he said the federal government right, has about $10 billion in Fed debt just in itself, right? I mean, you get down to state and local government, there's more of it. So I do think from an infrastructure readiness perspective, um, most public sector organizations aren't there. Uh, I do think they need to, you know, find a way to, to, to move ahead, though. I, I think, you know, to your point, too, it's not just... Um, 
uh, it's not just the space issues. Like I've talked to some organizations that have redone the spaces, but there's a culture issue as well. Mm -hmm. I think from a change management perspective, shifting from a traditional office setup to some kind of hybrid model or one with collaborative spaces is a big cultural shift. People just aren't used to working that way, especially in public sector where people tend to be very task oriented. And so I think there's a lot of training to do uh, around that. And I think even with organizations that have adapted the virtual tools, um, uh, you know, having uh, the, the training to understand what features are available. How do you work differently? How do you manage differently, right? So this is uh, quite a bit, um, uh, uh, it is a much different world today than what we had in the past, but it does start with technology, right? That's what kind of let us be successful through the pandemic and technology is going to let us be successful moving forward. But that does, you know, require an upgrade of infrastructure and also requires a big culture change. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots of changes to be made in the in the public sector around around infrastructure, especially as you both alluded to there. I mean, what, what's the danger here, though? You know, we've said the last three years, you know, really fueled by that sort of pandemic period. You know, lots of companies upgrading their tech. You know, we've seen lots of industries have really made leaps and bounds forwards from a from an infrastructure point of view and and those meetings point of view as well. But what's what's the danger here for a public sector that you know, might fall far behind some of these other industries, you know, when it comes to the technology. Um, Andrew, do you want to kick us off on that one? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when is too far behind, too far behind, I guess. Um, and and uh, I think that's, that's, that's the critical question. I think, um, especially now with the explosion of AI and the interest in AI, even though it, I, I would argue it's been around for a little bit longer than people think, um, so, you know, when, when you look at, when you look at taking advantage of technology, you have to have the infrastructure to support it. If you don't, you won't be able to take advantage and thereby you, you're caught in that cycle of spend and spend and spend rather than take advantage of spending sooner and being able to recover that investment and, uh, being able to really drive more efficiencies, also drive uh, more productivity, uh, depending on what it is you want to, what, depending on what your goal is at the end of the day. And from a public sector standpoint, again, you've got, you've got markets within public sector. You have education, which is different to federal, which is different to state and local. They all have similarities, but they, 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 the, 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 the key thing is I, I believe education is making strides in that space. I believe federal has got work to do um, and state and local as well, because they have to they have to um, really migrate to the underlying infrastructure that is required in order to take advantage of um, of, of, uh, of, of emerging technologies. Yeah, well, there is a public expectation aspect to this, right? Citizens increasingly expect government services to be on par with private sector services. And we do see that globally. Dave, you, I know you and I were at the JITEC show right and the, the government of dubai does a lot of things with i mean they're they're in the very leading edge right so um it would be nice to see u.s um public sector perhaps i'm, I'm not expecting them to lead in innovation but at least keep up with the pace of change so um you know so they can meet citizen expectations and and this has some interesting byproducts for state and local leaders and even federal leaders where if you're not keeping up then your constituents do get frustrated 
And then they do, they will want to change in government, right? And government policy. And that has sort of a negative effect on them as well. So there's a self-preservation aspect to it as well. I also think that one of the, the big misconceptions in this industry is that, um, you know, it's risky to move to the new thing. When you look at the cost of maintaining legacy, it's often riskier to stay with the old thing because you're not getting a lot of the benefits of the new management models, cloud-based systems, you know, pay-per-use uh, type of systems, you know, how cost-effective these things are. There, you know, there's sustainability issues with a lot, you know, with the, 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 a lot of the new systems are much greener. And so I, I think, um, you know, there's that aspect of, well, it just gets more expensive. And the last one, and this is probably one that uh, flies under the radar a lot, is uh, people want to work for organizations where they can be successful. And if you're putting, you know, state and federal and uh, local workers in a situation where they don't have the good tools, you're getting yelled at by, you know, the, their constituents all the time, you're going to have a widening talent gap where people aren't going to work for those organizations, right? So I think if you're trying to attract talent, and let's face it, everybody's trying to attract the best talent, you do need to modernize. And, and uh, you know, so it's, it's really not upgrading, Dave, I think creates a lose, lose, lose situation where everybody <laughs> loses and nobody wants that. Yeah. Now I think you actually make a fantastic point there, Zayas, around um, around attracting talent. I think it's absolutely critical, but it has to be weighed. And this is this is the this is the part, especially in the federal space. You have to weigh it up against uh, risk, risk from a security standpoint. Yeah. And as as you as you know, that's one of the key one of the key drivers in decision making, especially in the federal space, is is security, especially cyber security. So um, for them, for a change to be made, this is why it takes so long, is for a change to be made, it has to go through the necessary security evaluations. So again, it, it's about the whole risk management point uh, that I'm trying to make, but it, it, it sort of tends to the discussion around uh, balance, uh, especially around attracting talent. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, as we look globally around the world, you know, there are areas of the world that are getting this, um, getting this right as well. And as you mentioned, Dubai there, and that was, I think you're alluding to the waterboard in Dubai. We actually have a metaverse solution for connecting with their customers, which yeah. is pretty out there but you know they're, they're making it they're making that work so um well let's let's move on to our next question i mean the title of this uh this conversation today is you know taking a holistic approach to to uc in the in the public sector you know what is what does that mean exactly you know taking a holistic approach and um it's we're not just talking about uc here we're talking about cc contact center as well of course you know and how and how how are the public sector gonna going to get there um Zias, do you want to kick us off on that one yeah, I do think it does require a holistic approach. I think, and it's not just public sector. I think if you look across most industries, we've often thought of UC and CC as separate things. Uh, but they're the same communication channels today. They largely do a lot of the same things. And I think thinking about them as an integrated set of services actually has a lot of benefits from uh, a customer service and employee experience. And, uh, you know, it's often been said, we've said it on a lot of the UC Today shows, you can't deliver a great customer experience that a great employee experience right and mm -hmm. and i think more and more uh, state and local uh, governments are trying to measure themselves on satisfaction understanding are they helping customers do they like what they're doing or not but i would think you know at a level down there are some things to think about 
Um, I think mobile communications is something that government often doesn't think about, but the majority of people today do communicate over mobile. They tend to have a lot of field workers. Uh, they, you know, they tend to have uh, a, a lot of their own employees that tend to be um, uh, mobile. I think integration with existing systems too. We talked about technical debt. It's unrealistic to expect public sector to just rip and replace everything. And so you do want to modernize, but you do want to find solutions that work with your older ones. And then I think uh, when you start thinking about the future, uh, I think uh, data analytics becomes important. Do you have, are, are you, you know, the, Andrew had mentioned artificial intelligence. That's certainly the future of everything, but your AI is only as good as your data, right? And, uh, and so state and local governments, I think you know, as part of that holistic thought process, think about the data you're gathering, think about the data that needs to be secured, think about the data that can be used for AI, and, and understand how to manage that better. Because I think um, for the most part, um, what governments tend to have is a lot of silos of data, and that leads to a lot of fragmented insights, but they need to think more, more holistically about the data. That's a, that's a, that's a lot now I need, to, uh, I need to try to, to follow up on that. But uh, I, I think, I think uh, you, know, you touched upon uh, really um, the, the disparate nature of the current environments that we're dealing with, right? That they are very disparate in, in the multi-vendor, um, multi-platform environments that exist out there. And if you need to look at things holistically, you need to try to drive, um, you, you need to try to drive a, a more simplistic approach of pulling together and driving towards a, sing, a singular, if you can, right? It doesn't necessarily happen, but a singular environment right, from an infrastructure standpoint. Because what we're seeing, and what we're seeing as audio codes, we are seeing the convergence of both UC and CC, or employee experience and customer experience. We're seeing a convergence. What I mean by that is um, any user at some point in the future, in the near future, will be able to, with the right infrastructure, will be able to, uh, to take on the function of an agent. So now the question is, do you want every user to have that functionality? But there's an option to have as many users as you need. And it, it really, it transforms the whole landscape, especially when you look at costs, because you can manage costs, but also really drive, for let's say in the, in the federal space, drive the mission, right? And that is absolutely critical. Um, well, this so, is where the definition of agent is changing too, right? It's anybody who's customer facing should have access to contact center tools. Um, yes. Even uh, you know, you know, people out in the field that happen to be interacting with the public, right? Um, but it, they're not necessarily an agent per se. But uh, and I and I think from a vernacular perspective, we need to start thinking about you know talking about these roles a little bit differently than just you know agents, which you think are customer service people and internal people, because there's a lot of blending of the two. Yeah, we, we haven't even started yeah. talking about AI yet. So yeah. <laughs> we're going to get there. We're going to get there, guys. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of complexity. Yeah. yeah. So we, look, we are we are living in a in a, a multi vendor world. You know, I keep I keep seeing you know, um, multi cast is the the phrase I saw last, or uh, you know, multi platform kind of world. But you know, who are the who are the who are the vendor winners when it comes to a multi platform enterprise space at the moment? Uh, you know, what, is, what does that mean for organizations? Uh, Andrew, what do you think on that one? Well, that's a, that's a very complex and controversial topic. 
David, but I will try to answer it as best I can. So uh, the 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 multi multi vendor space at the moment, as we know, it's, it's it really the the three main players. We know who they are, right? You're talking about Microsoft, Zoom, and uh, Webex, right? Um, and I'm not going to say who has the majority or anything like that because I I think it does it a disservice. What I want to do is focus on um, how clients are migrating and and how that translates to who will win, right? Who will win per se is 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 really in some environments no one wins, everybody wins, right? So it's it's a degree of how much market share they take. I mean I I don't again that is that is a that is a, a little bit of a of a tough question, but from an audio code standpoint, irrespective of who the uh, manu- who the who the vendor is, it's about being able to deliver voice traffic and voice infrastructure to um, the necessary platform that they have in place, and that is uh, that is our key tenant. Hopefully, that answers yeah. the. I, I do think a couple of years ago, coming out of the pandemic, there was a thesis that organizations were going to consolidate down to a single collaboration tool, and that hasn't proven to be the case. In mm-hmm. fact, my research shows that, on average, um, large organizations, whether the government or not, tend to use a, four or more right collaboration tools. And so you're right, Andrew, this is a rising tide today that's lifting a lot of boats. And I don't expect anybody to consolidate down to just Teams or just WebEx or just Zoom. They're going to use them for their their, their core strengths. And frankly, they're, they're good at different things, right? Zoom's an excellent customer-facing tool where Teams is very good internally, right? WebEx is excellent call quality, and they've added a bunch of AI features, good contact center. And so um, the challenge here is to tie these together. And I think one of the things I like about what Audio Codes does is you you provide that underlying infrastructure that allows these systems to talk together. And so while they... You know, because ultimately customers want to have choice, right? If you have one solution, that doesn't work for them. And so if you can give them choice, but they work together, that's the ultimate win. Yeah. Let's um, let's move on to AI and automation. And we've kind of touched on it already. Obviously, the big, the big exciting sort of space right now. But, um, you know, AI and automation is impacting every sector. There, I don't think there's a sector that's not impacting right now. Uh, but how is um, particularly the, the voice strategy impacted by AI in the in the public sector space? Um, Andrew, do you want to start us off on that one? Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, this is like the what is it, nom de jour? Um, it is. It is the. It's the. It's the one everybody wants to talk about. So, um, from from a from an AI perspective, that there are two key components that I see affecting voice uh, initially. One is cognitive AI capabilities, and that is really focused on the customer experience and contact center capabilities, whether it's virtual agents whether it's um, um, uh, whether it's uh, IVR, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? And bot technology as well, right? Which we've seen a, an explosion in bot technology, bot infrastructures, which is, you know, but it's, it's not about necessarily the, 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 um, the end state, but it's actually the journey to get there. And the key thing from a voice perspective is being able to connect voice into those platforms, 
right? That is absolutely key, especially when you're when you're having to convert speech to text, text to speech, et cetera, et cetera. Being able to do that in a in a very uh, effective and, and and for want of a better term, high quality uh, environment. Um, that is that is that is the key uh, strategy from from a voice perspective, uh, especially when it comes to AI. It's the connectivity into AI, so you're able to utilize AI. Now, the other approach from a UC perspective, and I separate the two, even though they're converging, um, is from a, a generative AI perspective and the ability to be able to, let's say, for example, this meeting, be able to get a summary that somebody doesn't have to write notes. They get a summary, they have the action points all laid out. You don't have to say, take an action. No, it does it automatically. It listens to the conversation and be able to, to generate a summary. And then being able to take those summaries and as an organization, be able to analyze further and drive understanding trends, driving the future. That is where I see AI and how it impacts voice. I think AI and voice is one of the most exciting things to happen to voice since Graham <laughs> <Alice laughs> <and> Bell, <laughs> right? Uh, and let's face it, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in voice since then. But no. with with AI and voice, you can do things now like sentiment analysis, right? You can there's AI algorithms that can uh, tell you when uh, citizens and you know people call into call centers. Are, are getting irritated or not getting the answers they want. I think also when you think about the a lot of state and local governments, right, you need multilingual support. And that's something that's been hard for a lot of smaller governments to provide. But now even through texting or th uh, through voice capabilities, you're able to translate those things in real time now. And so uh, that's difficult to do with, with just a lot of people, but it isn't that hard to do with AI. And so translate, look for translation services to be part of voice AI. I think another area, and you, you had talked about security, uh, Andrew, um, uh, the voice biometric industry has evolved you know, rapidly over the last few years. And so I think we can start using that for authentication versus having people have to key in your account number or your street address, things like that. And that also helps with fraud detection as well. So I, I think um, uh, there is, uh, uh, you think about the ways we interact with state and local governments and federal governments, Almost every aspect of that can be modified with voice uh, and AI, and it and and I think that also helps dispel the notion that voice is going away. Right? I read that all the time. Is that <laughs> you know, voice is dead? Voice we voice has been used more than ever, right? And uh, a lot of interactions may start with text, but then they they do flip over to voice. And so I think that that industry is alive and kicking, and AI is just going to create another wave of innovation for it. Yeah, certainly an exciting time for sure. Um, look, we're coming towards the end of the conversation, unfortunately. But before we leave, um, you know, let's get a bit of a forward-looking statement from you both. Um, you know, tech chiefs in pub in the public sector uh, in 2024. You know, what's going to be top of mind for them? You know, we've talked about a lot of different things today, but what are your expectations? You know, um, for the coming year, and what's going to be top of mind for those tech chiefs? Andrew, do you want to start us off on that one? I think uh, the key thing, well, uh, we, we've just been talking about it. AI is top of mind at the moment, but it, it's it's more how to enable uh, AI and how to uh, and how to successfully enable um, by migrating to whichever platforms they deem or they feel necessary for their environment. Um, and 
being able to uh, provide that in a cost-effective manner. Because as, as mentioned earlier, there, there is big debt out there. So being able to provide, you know, uh, not just uh, one time, let's go ahead and, you know, migrate, but it's, it's also, let's take a measured approach around this. What about as a service models? Have we even discussed that? No, not really. But those are going to be prevalent top of mind thoughts on recovery of investment by out, not outlaying the, 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 the money up front. And, and I think um, that will be top of mind. Um, especially from a, a UCCC perspective. Yeah, I think if uh, if AI is top of mind, what that really means is data is top of mind, right? And I think uh, um, government CIOs really need to get a handle on the data that they have, um, how it's stored, how to normalize it, how to make sure that you have one, you know, complete one unified data set. There's an expression in data sciences that says, "Good data leads to good insights," and if that's true then silos of data leads to fragmented insights. And so you can spin your wheels by applying AI to these different silos, but you're not really going to get the answers that you're looking for, right? So I think data management is, is absolutely number one for, for public sector uh, tech chiefs. I, I think the other aspect of it too is understanding how to fit all these emerging technologies into the current business processes and flows, right? There's some things AI is good at, there's some things it's not good at yet. And so uh, this will be a year of trial and, uh, you know, and, some will work, some won't, but I think that's okay. I think we just want to see steps moving forward. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for, but I'd just like to say thank you to Zeus and Andrew for joining me and sharing some of your insights. And thank you to you for watching. My name's David Dungay, I've been watching UC Today. If you like the conversation you heard, please give us a like and a share on social media. That's it from me, see you next time. <laughs>